Welcome to Coffee and Honeycomb, the podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Park, and this is my first time publishing an episode in over two years. Two years. If you're listening to this, thank you for tuning in. This episode is super special to me, and I think you will really enjoy it. Today, I'm talking to Portia Allen, who is a speaker, educator, pastor, mother, and wife. I start out by sharing why I took such a long break from the pod, and then we dive into all things related to race in the church. We talk about what it was like to be in Minnesota last summer during George Floyd's murder. What does racial reconciliation in the church look like? How do we integrate social justice with our faith? And we also dabble into some other conversations of being a people pleaser or sharing what we believe in on social media and so much more. And I hope this conversation just encourages you, convicts you the way it did to me, wherever you are in your journey. We know last summer was a reckoning for a lot of folks, and we hope that everyone is continuing on their journey in different ways. And so we hope this conversation meets you wherever you are and just blesses you. If it does, I think it would mean a lot if you reached out to me or Portia on Instagram, share how it met you, and I think that would just mean a lot. So without further ado, grab your cup of coffee and let's get started. Hi, Portia. Thanks so much for joining me today. Jenny, I'm so happy to be with you. I'm so excited. Before I introduce you, which I'm really excited to, I wanted to share kind of why we're talking today. So you and I have already talked about this, but for those who might be listening to Coffee and Honeycomb, it's been about like two years since I've mm-hmm. published or re- launched whatever we want to call an episode. And I thought it'd be helpful just to share a little bit of like where I'm coming from, why this felt like the right time to get to meet and chat. And I'm so excited it's with you. But, um, you know, when I started Coffee and Honeycomb probably in three years ago now, it was in the season where I think I was just so in love with God and all I wanted to do was talk about him. And I was so excited to get to meet with other women who I love and respect and hear like how God is working in their life and the way that he's moving with them and show like, so many different women, um, and the ways that God is leading. And this time around 2019, 2020, for some reason, I started to have different questions that I don't think I'd ever asked before or things that I saw about church culture or my church experiences that I never thought to question. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly felt a guilty. It was my first thing of asking these questions. And then I started to feel like, I think these questions are valid and my thoughts are valid. And I think I need to lean into them to make my faith more real. And why I'm so grateful for that is that I think for some reason, I didn't know how to reconcile that with this podcast. Like I thought Coffee and Honeycomb had to be, I'm already at this place where I can neatly tie the bow on our testimonies, our stories, our questions. Like we don't ask questions that we don't already know the answer to. Right. Um, And so I think I hid from this podcast for a while. And then simultaneously, I was also having a lot of just reflections about what it means to be like other parts of my identity as an Asian American, as a woman. And I shared something on Instagram about my just reflections of being an Asian American woman. And you messaged and so kindly, and you said something about how like, this was beautiful, this is powerful, but you also said like, as a church, we should talk more about this. Mm -hmm. And for some reason that kind of like never crossed my mind, Portia, of like, (laughs) oh, these things can be integrated. And like, I can ask questions and I can wrestle and I can talk about this, like, huh, like maybe other people 
might be wrestling and might be curious to talk about it. And so I say that of like, maybe to give me an out of being like, oh, this podcast is a conversation where I can just like ask questions and I'm wrestling with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also sharing that, like, that's what kind of prompted us chatting wow. and you mm-hmm. being so gracious to be like, oh yeah, let's do the podcast. That sounds great. I love everything that you just said. I love, you know, authenticity is a word that we all long for and we celebrate in other people when we see it, but can sometimes be hard to show up or in our own lives. And so I just love how very authentic that you are being with yourself and with those in your circle and those that you're inviting in. Cause I think it gives other people permission to also be authentic and to ask questions. I mean, we say in our culture, there's no stupid question but yet we're afraid that the question that we might ask might be stupid or I should have known that already or that's not a question to be asked. And I think all questions are out there to be asked. They might make us feel uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean the question shouldn't have been asked. Maybe context and space and timing. <laughs> I think all of that, that's nuanced of when you ask questions. But I love this and I am, I'm, I'm an educator by profession. So we love questions and education, but even there, there's training all of the time to help you help guide students and not just give them the answer. And so, and that's, I think that's what Jesus did. It was very rare that he just gave an outright answer, but would give another question and he would lead people to find the answers. And so um, I love this space that you're in. It's a space that in my own life, I'm trying to embrace more and more and to embrace my kids when I'm just like, can you just said um but no really it's good that you're asking the question so I love this so much well thank you um I definitely you were someone I definitely felt safe to do this with I think people can already tell I think in the short times I've talked with you Portia there's something like dripping about you where it's like (laughs) intimacy with God and also just like out of abundance but with a really Mm. clear point of view and I think Maybe even in just these few minutes, people have already heard that and are hopefully eager just to lean in. But um, can you introduce yourself for those who are meeting for the first time? Sure. I am Portia Allen and um, have been married to Clinton Allen. I would say the one and only, but if you Google his name, there's tons of Clinton Allens in the world. Um, But my one and only Clinton Allen, he is a worship pastor at a local church in the Twin Cities called River Valley Church. And we have three amazing boys that are 10, 8, and 4. So we're never bored. And um, I'm wife, I'm mom, but I also am teacher and speaker and writer and podcaster and friend and daughter and so many things and sometimes I'm only things for a certain amount of time and then I have to hop into another hat but uh, that is that is me I guess in a nutshell um I like to tell people I'm an army brat so I'm from everywhere and so I have different places that are home there are a lot of things that are home to me and so that means I can be at home almost anywhere so I love that That's a cool gift to make home anywhere. And you're a pastor, Portia. I am a pastor. You know what, Jenny? That's still new. That just <laughs> happened. Um, and so you are right. I am now a pastor. And so that is really fun and exciting. And people are like, what does that mean? And I was like, it means it's an extra tool that I have in my tool bag and will use as the Lord opens up spaces. Because um, I know there are some spaces that people really want to know that I am a pastor. Like, oh, it gives me credence. And there are other people who care less than I am. And so I'll use it as it is needed because that's what it is. It's a tool. It's not mm. who I am. It's just 
one of the things I get to be. So the topic that I'm excited to kind of dive into, and we'll also just go where the conversation leads us, but is around race and the church. Um, and so wanting to kind of go back in time a little bit to last year, last summer with mm-hmm. Georgia, and I think about Minneapolis where you're living, where George Floyd was murdered mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, the injustice unrest, the pro the protesting, the mourning is all happening right in front of you. And two questions, like one, like how did you personally process through mm-hmm. that? And then secondly, the question that I don't know, I'm also just curious about because I didn't get to see is like, how did you process with your church community and with God? Sure. Those are such good questions. And I, um, I remember, you know how you have those things that happen in your life where you remember where you were? I was in my living room and I happened to pick up my phone because a friend had texted me and said, Portia, I'm so sorry. And when this particular friend texts me that, that's a flag that something has gone on in society that's hit the news waves. So all I have to do is open Instagram or go to whatever news feed and I will immediately know what's going on. And so before I responded to my friend, I looked to see what was happening in the world and saw the video of George Mm -hmm. Floyd. Now I would like to say, um, and people are at different places, um, when videos go out and are viral, because it has happened, it will happen, it'll continue to happen, to be mindful of sharing the video because there is a season where you couldn't go anywhere without seeing it. Um, And so just to be mindful of people of color that are, it almost feels, can feel like an assault. I think there's, a knowing, and then there's a watching. I can know something happened without having seen it, but I didn't know. So I turned on the video to watch it. And I remember just sitting on the couch and just saying, oh, Jesus. And my son happened to be sitting there. And he was like, mama, what's wrong? And in that moment, I was like, do I tell him? Do I not tell him? And I decided to tell him. I did not show How the video to the children. At the time, he was nine. Okay. And so I did not, I, I don't, we, my husband and I don't ever show them the videos of things that happen um, because they're children and we want to try to protect them as best as possible. But I said, it looks like, cause at the time I wasn't even a hundred percent sure that George Floyd was dead. Mm. It looked, because when you first watch it, you think so, but you're, I was like, maybe he just passed out. Maybe, maybe he's not dead. But I told him is that it looks like a gentleman was killed. And then my son asked, was he a black man? And I said, yes. And he said, was it because of racism? And I said, you know, I I don't know yet. I don't I don't know what happened. And um, and I said, but my heart is just really sad right now. And he's like, Mama, we should pray. And I was like, we should pray. Let's pray right now. And I was like, we're going to pray for Mr. George Floyd and his family. And I was like, and we're also going to pray because I told him a police officer was involved. And I said, we're also going to pray for the police officer. And he's like, why? And I said, well, first of all, we don't know everything that happened yet. Cause this is, this is like the day after. And um, it is not a light thing to take someone's life. And so we need to pray for him. We need to pray for his heart and for his family. So we prayed. And then obviously we're a year removed, all the things that we know, all the things that we've experienced. And my friend that had messaged me, I, of course, I messaged back and I was like, I'm just seeing what's going on. And 
this is tough because it's right on the heels of Ahmaud Arbery being killed in Georgia. And yeah. it just, it just felt like, no, not again. And so my husband and I, of course, we talk about these things and uh, we're very blessed to have a group of, of friends at church that I would call safe friends. You said you consider me a safe person um, of safe friends that we could be very candid and talk about what's happening. Um, Because you, I I think it's wisdom to know where you can be completely unfiltered because sometimes like, for example, with my children, I am filtered in what I say and how I process because they are children. And depending on who I'm talking to determines the level of filter that I will have. Although lately I've been telling people, Hey, by the way, I'm not filtered today. So whatever you hear, (laughs) Um, I just enter in at your own risk. I'm not filtering today, which I'm finding I am filtering less and less because um, it's a little bit of a uh, trying to control. Like you just hate to say, oh, you're being controlling, but you're really trying to control and maybe potentially manipulate somebody else's emotions because you are withholding in a sense by Mm. editing yourself. And I'm not talking about I'll be kind lack awareness. I'm not talking about that, but if, if X is how you feel, then you can communicate X in a respectful way. And so um, if you are angry, I think it is okay to say, I am angry or frustrated. My, my counselor told me, he goes, you do realize that frustration is just another word for anger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, well, to me, like on a scale of one to 10, frustration is like a three. Anger is a 10. He's like, okay, I see how you're using it. Um, so having that group of friends was really, really helpful that they didn't try to come in with answers. And in this group of friends, um, friends of color, um, friends that are Caucasian that just would show up and say, you don't have to say anything. We're just here. We love you. If you want to talk, we'll listen. If you don't want to talk, that's fine. We're here. And that was really, I didn't even know how much I needed that. Um, at church, our church did a good job of acknowledging things, um, which historically we haven't done. And so my husband and I were celebrating that you, we can't ignore this. This is right in our backyard. And it wasn't out of we can't ignore it. But like, but what do we say? Because I think a lot of people fall victim to I don't know what to say. So I don't yeah, say anything. Yeah. The fear of saying the wrong thing, we say nothing. But then that sends volumes of maybe misunderstood intention of you didn't intend to act like you didn't care. You didn't intend to communicate. This isn't important. You didn't intend, but that's sometimes what happens in silence. And so I would say um, our church is, is struggling along with how to do this. Well, like every other church, our church is predominantly white and they want to give care and compassion to the people of color that are a part. But again, don't want to say the wrong thing. And so they're figuring it out, but I applaud and I celebrate that they're willing to be in, they're willing to be in the fray and in the mess and in the uncertainty of what do we do? So um, fast forward the week after when there's rioting and there's fires and there's looting and all just carnage. It wasn't just our church. When I tell you that thousands upon thousands of people showed up in Minneapolis to help clean up of every ethnicity. and. And, and I believe both of faith and not of faith of just, let's take care of our city. This is our city. Whether we live in Minneapolis proper or not, this is us. 
And so I think that the churches and specifically I'll speak to my church. I love that we didn't try to run away from that, Mm. but really did jump in. I love that our lead pastor was a part of a peaceful protest. I love that um, many of my husband's work colleagues were at protests. I love that people were trying to learn as much as possible um, and to establish and to stand for justice. Um, Those initial crisis points, I think that the church and churches did an amazing job. The hard work have been the months after, you know, because when there's a crisis, there's all of this care, there's all of this concern. It's like now, a year from now, what are, what are we doing? One other thing that's interesting that you said about editing and being filtered and how it's controlling, it was really fascinating. So I, st- I started seeing a therapist for the first time and it's wonderful. And, and the therapist pointed out, I get the sense that you're trying to control my experience and my perception of them. Mm. And so that was that I've never heard that phrase before, but it keeps ringing Mm. in me. And you also Mm. just used it. And that was so interesting Mm. of like Mm. this, I haven't unpacked it totally yet, but this association with being filtered of being like wise, like in the case of your children, that makes sense. But also the sense of filtered is that controlling other people's experiences and perceptions of you. And how do you balance that? Right. And it's, um, and I think it's something I've done my whole life. I've spent a lot of time thinking through because actually what my therapist said, he goes, Portia, a little bit of this is codependent. And I went, wait a minute, what? I would not. Whoa. I I, I have not ever thought of myself as being codependent. And he said, not in the classic definition of codependency, but if you're trying to control someone else's emotions and how they feel, about a particular thing to be what you want. Because I'm thinking if I can prevent someone from feeling bad, wouldn't I do that? Isn't that the loving thing to do to prevent someone from feeling bad? But I think the additional question is at what cost? Is it at being not truthful with yourself, not being truthful with that person? Because anywhere where you're not being truthful, that's not loving. So I, that is a space that I've been wrestling in and I hope I probably will wrestle for the rest of my life because I am low key a people pleaser. Um, But I think there's a fine line between doing that in a healthy way and an unhealthy way. And for me personally, the unhealth usually shows up for me, but I think also like in raising kids, that's an environment where then they feel like, well, then everything has to be good. Ah. We want everybody to feel good all the time. Well, that's just not life. And we need to learn how to lean into those spaces where, which that was one of these things last year in church. It did not feel good. It did not feel settled for a long time. Interesting. And that was was your first thing. Was your first reaction then to like make it all feel good for everybody? Or did you, you know, feel like you could sit in the, sit in the pain? I, by the, and this is going to sound awful. Maybe <laughs> by the time we got to George Floyd, I was just going to sit in the pain. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't, you can't make this better. And when someone says, I'm sorry, I could receive that. Thank you. But this is still a really bad situation. Our system is still really broken. Um, I mean, we still deal, like within church circles, there's still a lot of people that have focused so much on George Floyd's life prior and the choices and decisions that he made that maybe we wouldn't have made. I don't know. We weren't in his shoes. But none of that has anything to do with the fact that he lost his life that day. None of that has to do with, no, none, none, none of that matters. And so, but those are still conversations that I'm willing to have. I will have, um, where I ask the Lord to help me to come in with humility and not to come in 
super feisty, but I think I can be humble and still be a little feisty. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That was actually a question I wanted to ask you. So even words like black lives matter, systemic racism, Mm -hmm. critical race theory. I think these Mm -hmm. in the environment that we were in, all those words have become so politically charged and associated Mm -hmm. with like bipartisan issues. And it, I feel like I've seen conversations or situations where then it becomes all theoretical academic Mm -hmm. or down this path versus like, wait, we're talking about real people and real humans in the church. And I sense that sometimes it goes down that path or maybe some believers or churches don't want to talk about it because they associate it with being a political issue. Sure. Have you seen that? What do you say to that? What have you said to that? Um, I think all of these things have been politicized. I think if you call yourself a believer, issues, air quotes, that you call political, you need to stop and and ask the question, but what is the human aspect of this? Because that's really all politics is. It's just the governing affairs of humans, right? So rather than getting caught up in the rule or the policy, let's look at people, for example. And so... Um, should we break the law? No, we should not break the law. But I think there's something to be said for looking at why people break the law. Um, there's mm. an, uh, Drew Barrymore was in a movie called, oh, it's based on the Cinderella story. Um, it's based on the story of Cinderella and I don't remember the name. Maybe it's Ever After. I think it's, a, it's an old movie that came out in the 90s. Not that uh-huh. Drew Barrymore is old, but. If you hear this, Drew, I don't think you're old. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Drew is definitely listening. So, yeah, we'll fact check it for her. But we, um, there's a scene in there where she is talking about the poor who were stealing to eat. And she was talking about if, yes, this is a law, but if the government has made law so oppressive and has made it so difficult for people to earn what they need to, to get the food that they need, so then they steal, but then the government chastises them and punishes them for stealing for their very lives. Is that a just government? And I did not do that verbatim, but I think that's something that we need to look at in our society. If our government has things that are in place that are oppressing Mm -hmm. and pushing down a particular set of people, then shouldn't we look at what's oppressing? Shouldn't that be changed? So I think that politics has a space because that's that's how we fix these things. Now, for the believer who says, I don't want to talk about political things, I get it. We don't want to lose our uh, tax-exempt status. But is our source the government or is our source God? I'm just going to leave that right there. Yeah. Um, I know it would be thousands upon thousands of dollars, depending on the size of your church, if we were to lose tax-exempt status. But ultimately, who is our source? If we were to lose our tax exempt status because we talked about things that society deems political, so be it if we are ministering and serving the poor, the lost, those that are oppressed, those that have been beaten down for generations. I think that's that's where our heart should be. And so critical race theory, for example, I recently had someone tell me, are you for it? Tell me if you are, why or why not? If you're not, why or why not? I'm still learning about that. But what I have learned is that it's about people, a particular group of people that has been systematically oppressed for over 400 years. Do I align with everything that it espouses? Of course not. I don't even know everything that it espouses. I'm still learning. Mm. However, I think I am capable of it taking the meat and spitting out the bones. We have to do that with everything, Right. I love a chicken breast on the bone. I'm not going to eat the bones. I'm going to eat that white meat 
and it's going to be yummy. Probably have some hot sauce with it, but I love fish. Don't get a fish. Oh man, isn't that the worst when you accidentally swallow a fish? Yeah, and you have a little one in your throat. It just stays there. Yeah, and it takes forever to wash it down. So in the same way, critical race theory, look at it. Don't just take someone else's opinion for it. Read up on it. Listen to a podcast about it, multiple ones, and listen. And then I'm a firm believer. I go to believers first that talk about these things before I go to the secular world, before I just do arbitrary searches, um, because it just, same worldview, just helps. Um, Not that I won't listen to a secular uh, view about something, but this is my preference, how I go about listening to it. Race, oh, guys, human race, one race, different ethnicities, right? Um, And I think it's good to celebrate the races. I think it's good to celebrate Asian American sisters. I think, um, and I like to start at food. Can we just stop and talk about the amazing food that we have from all of the different ethnicities of people that God has put on this earth? Come on. Yum. 1000%. Like that that doesn't bring people together. (laughs) If we would just start with the food, right? Let's gather around the table, have different food and talk about, tell me your experience. I think church is really good at having food together, or at least when I was growing up, we were. Um, What a great idea. You bring food that represents your people group and let's sit down and have a conversation and talk about what is it like to be you in this context of this world that we're living in. I love that idea. One thing you said, Portia, I wrote it down. It was so good. Let's not get up in the policy and the rules, but focus on the people. And that's so true that politics literally is for people by people. And it's, I mean, I didn't mean to use like a a catchphrase, but, um, (laughs) and then it's, it's just the way that we go about it. What a great, mm-hmm. effective way to do it. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on Christians and social media, engaging in these topics, standing for sure. what they believe in on social mm-hmm. media? Okay, first of all, definitely pray before you post. Woo, pray <laughs> before you post. Um, and to remember, I don't think that sustaining change is actually happened through social media. I think you can catch somebody's attention and it may be a conversation starter, but I don't think it essentially is changing anyone. So therefore, I think it's not really meaningful to engage in a debate online mm. with someone you don't actually know. Um, I think that you can post, hey, this is something that I'm, I'm really passionate about and recognize that not everybody's going to love what you're posting. But that doesn't mean you have to engage with them. Um, I would rather, if I'm going to engage in a, in a conversation that has potential conflict, and my husband is a master at this. Um, someone will say something kind of unkind on something that he's posted, which my husband posts like once every 5,000 days. He hardly ever posts. Um, but when he does, if someone in our local area says, hey, I can't believe that you posted that. That's so blah, blah, whatever, which has happened. He will DM them and say, let's meet for coffee. Let's talk. I'd love, I'd love to hear your point of view. I'd love to hear your perspective. And so some people have taken him up on it and some haven't because I think sometimes on social media and those spaces, we just want to fire off a missive and be like, so there, and we're not really looking to have a dialogue. So I think that's great. Social media can be great for believers to be encouraging, uplifting. Um, what is it? Let me think of it. Paul tells us in Philippians to think about things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and a good report. And if it doesn't fall on that filter, I think as believers, should we really be posting? Mm, can you um, repeat that again? Pure, just. Pure. I say, what sort of things are true, lovely, just, a good report? I left off one. It's Philippians 4 8. 
And I think the other things we just have, just have them in face-to-face conversations. If you are upset and you have a relationship with someone, I have a friend that posted something that was like raw and just, it was unkind. And I felt it was a little bit unfair. So I side messaged and went, Hey, I love you. And one of the things I appreciate about you is that you are really great about highlighting and giving education about areas where people may not know. I was like, mm-hmm. but this particular post felt very accusatory and attacking. And that's just not normally how you give out information. What's up? <laughs> and so uh, we had a dot, but it was someone I knew and I had a relationship with. And I was like, can we, can we talk about this? And, and I think that as believers with people you have a relationship with, you can do that. I think sometimes believers try to call out other believers that you don't know. Why would you do that? Why? <laughs> because we have an opinion about everyone else's life. You know, One thing I love about how, what you just said and that you and Clint seem to model is that sharing with your thumbs is the easy work, but the idea of meeting someone for coffee and actually like listening to the other person's point of view is a, is a lot more work. It's a lot more inconvenient, but that is, Mm -hmm. if if the goal of sharing on social media is to create change or share your point of view, that's Mm -hmm. what it requires. And Mm -hmm. that when you reached out to your friend that you first said, I love you. I see you in this way that you created a safe space for her and you saw her to be someone you like reminded her of who she is mm-hmm. and that you're not accusing her of doing something yeah. you didn't agree with. So thank yeah. you for modeling that. That's such a good yeah. example. And it's hard. Can I tell you, my heart was beating so fast. I was like, and I asked Clinton, should I do this? Should I message them? And he was like, if you feel strongly about this, like, do I love this person. I really, truly love this person. And I just think that this was, this just wasn't a cool post. And he was like, pray about it. And if you have peace, go. And so I did, but I was nervous. You can have peace about something and still be nervous to do it. Um, But again, I wasn't blasting in front of everybody. Just to make clear, this was not a blast. This was a private message between myself and this person. Mm -hmm. One thing I love about this idea of like, pray about it, have peace and go. But we also, I feel like have now become, there's this culture where if you don't post about something right away, your silence speaks volumes. Right. And I'm, no, I don't, I don't think it's fair. I think, and, and I, this is going to, I admit that what I'm about to say might sound like I'm speaking from both sides of my mouth. Here it goes. I think there's a difference between an individual and an organization. Uh, I think an individual has responsibility into their spheres of circles. And, um, and I think you should, cause I haven't posted about everything, but there are some things where I have, and actually what I've started to do is um, I don't repost everybody, but there are certain things that I will repost because I'm like, I'm not going to say it better than they did. So Mm. I'm going to repost this. I think as far as organizations like churches, I get it. We cannot post about every single injustice that happens in our country because that's every day, all day long. Mm. I think there's something to look at. How does this affect for organizations? How does this impact my local community? What is my reach beyond my local community? And then I happen to be a part of a church that has a pretty rough, big reach. So when they say we are standing for justice for George Floyd, we are praying for our city. It's, it's massive and important. If they had chosen not to say anything about any of these things over the last year, that would have been really, really hard and difficult. But they said things not only on their social media platforms, but also on the weekends 
with their congregants talking about we are praying for our city and these are the things that we're doing. I think that's really important. For an individual, um, I think it depends on if you, personal conviction, and I think that to expect someone to post about every single thing is not realistic because folks have jobs and families and laundry. And I'm not trying to minimize these very huge things that are happening in our world, but there's also, we're only meant to carry so much. And this might be controversial, but could it be that because of our access that we are carrying and seeing way more than was ever intended for us to carry or to see? Yeah. Um, And so I think, again, uh, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. I say you post following the leading of the Lord. Uh, Is this, is this going to be something that's going to be beneficial? If it's not beneficial, then I don't need to post it. I think that's so good. And I think for people who want to do the right thing, want to show love to people who are experiencing things that they might not be experiencing, want to show up in that way and who might feel burned. So I think that's, thank you. I think that's really helpful. I think there might be other people, and maybe this is me being pessimistic, who mm-hmm. probably should, mm-hmm. <laughs> even mm-hmm. if they're even if they're praying and they're not feeling this conviction, they should mm-hmm. probably lean in and figure out how they mm-hmm. have convictions about certain yeah, things. For sure. Um, and I think that social media can be a, a huge uh, catalyst yeah. to lean into, what do I think about this? What are my thoughts? Um and I hate, you know, it depends. That's my final answer. Should Christians post? It depends. I think that's <laughs> it fair. It absolutely depends. I feel like one thing I'm still unlearning is these things are secular and these things are holy. And social justice is a weird one for me because I've always gone to Korean American or Asian American churches. And so we've been pretty insular when it comes to these types of topics. And we've talked, like, it's usually like, this month's theme is social justice and it's reserved for this one month. And there's this one ministry that engages in social justice. And for some reason, the, the thing I always heard was um, if you don't feel called to social justice, maybe Mm -hmm. don't lean into it because this could become your idol or it needs to come from God first. And so I always just respected that. And Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, like I don't feel personally convicted or called. So that just must not be my calling. And then as I just got older and more exposed, like, I think I just wasn't convicted because I just wasn't exposed to like what that means and to care about human issues. And so I think I swung the other way of really leaning in and caring and just being like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I just was uneducated in that now that I know, how could you not care? But I think I've swung the other way where now I'm figuring out like, oh, what does it look like to integrate Uh this now and not be like all my sources are not from believers or Christian sources when it comes to this matter. And so now I'm trying to integrate the two Mm -hmm. would love your thoughts on that. I feel like this conversation already, I love that we're weaving in and out of talking about this together. I love that you're um, in fact, that's something I wrote down when we first started talking about compartmentalization. I think sometimes it's easy when we can compartmentalize and sometimes it's a survival tactic to compartmentalize. But a space that I have been in with my faith is it cannot be a Sunday only faith. Meaning I, as I, Clint and I have children that they're watching us, they need to know that our relationship with the Lord is more than just daddy's a pastor. Mom is a pastor who travels sometimes and tells people about Jesus. But as it is, um, 
as we have the opportunity to do good to others, that's what we're supposed to do. James talks about to know to do the right thing and not do it. It's sin. For all my believers out there, I said it, sin, to know to do it, <laughs> wow. not do it is sin. So let's talk about the things you don't know to do. That's not, that's not necessarily on you. But if you know, for example, um, a long time ago, I committed to the Lord. If I have cash and someone asks me, not going to think about what the cash is going to be used for, not. I'm going to help. Or if it's in a space, my, my preference is if I'm at a gas station and someone says, hey, do you have some money? Um, usually the answer is no, I don't because I don't have cash very often. But I will say, is there something you want or need in the store? Because I'll go in with you and I'll get you whatever you want or whatever you need. And this will make some people uncomfortable. No one has asked me to buy them cigarettes. I think I would. I think mm. if that's what they needed right there in that moment, I'm just like, look, I, I can't give you a house. I can't give you a room for tonight. I can't bring you home with me right now. If this is something along with some food to eat, I think I would buy the cigarettes. I don't know. I'm so, I'm like, those are questions I'm asking myself. When I was in my twenties, I would have said, absolutely not. I'll buy you whatever you need. Um, besides something that is not good for your physical body. Neither are the cupcakes or the Coca-Cola <laughs> or so. Um but integrating those things, I'm in this space where the Lord's like, you don't get to turn me off. And so I liked what you said about exposing yourself to things, give space for a conviction to build in your heart. The church I belong to has a lot of mission trips. And the thing that I like about them, it is not about white savior complex. It is about coming in and supporting the work that's already being done. It's not about here we are. It's about there you are. And how can we serve what is already happening? How can we support what's already happening? And I think that that is really important because it allows people, their hearts to go, I never noticed. I never knew that there are parts mm. of the world that live in poverty. And then they come back and their eyes are different. They see differently the world that they're traveling in. I think for some of us, it's just a matter of going into a defensive code and we will see. Um, there's a gentleman, Brian Stevenson. He, uh, they just did a movie that came out on Netflix about his life. He works with um, uh, African-American inmates that are on death row because some of those cases ugh, needed to be overturned. Um, and I had the opportunity to hear him at a justice conference. And he spoke about approximating yourself to pain. That when you do that, your heart shifts and your heart changes. And so I think that is our call as believers if you are not around anybody that's in any kind of pain or suffering, then maybe we just need to adjust where we do something. Maybe you go to a different grocery store. Maybe you go downtown just to take a walk and just to see whatever that looks like for you. Maybe you join in with an organization because they are everywhere that are serving those that are oppressed in our society and they need more hands. They always need more hands. And so approximating ourselves to someone else's pain, I think puts our heart in a position and I'm not saying that God's going to completely change the call on your life, but what it might do is change how you walk out your call. What it might do is change how you encourage others. And so that is something that I'm constantly praying is Lord, help me to approximate myself to others experiences so that if nothing else, I have empathy and compassion to, to care enough to learn more about this particular person's experience. And so we have work that has to happen in order to integrate these spaces. Otherwise we can live insular and never see 
the thirsty, the hungry, the poor, the homeless. You can do it. Our country is set up that you can live your entire life and never have to come face to face with it. But I think as the people of God, we're called. There's a mandate that's part of what we do. And that doesn't mean that you're not in your chosen profession. That doesn't mean that you don't do the things you feel God has called you to. It just means that you approximate yourself to somebody else's experience and do what you find after that. Um, and sometimes it's as simple as, do you, are you hungry? Let's go get something to eat. For others, it's, I know this organization, let me take you there. Um, it's different for everybody, but I do believe we have a mandate to approximate ourselves to others' experience. That was so good. And I think I needed to hear that. And because, okay, because this, I think everything right now is what I'm realizing is I'm just recalibrating because I think also in my previous like church circles environment, and I don't mean to bash any of it because I also gained so much from it and there was so much good from it. I'm just calling out the things that I'm trying to unlearn. But this, I think so much of teaching preaching was about like self-denial, avoid comfort at all costs to be suffering is holy. And so I had a weird relationship with that. And then I think I swung the other way of trying to find out what does it mean to enjoy good gifts and what does it mean to be comfortable? And like, I don't have to be uncomfortable for the sake of uncomfortable. And I leaned in this way. And now I'm in this place where it's like, okay, acknowledging privilege. And do you have to sacrifice all privilege? And what does that look like? But I think what you just said of like, have a a proximity to pain and it's not for the sake of it. It's not because- these things on either end are bad itself and you need to avoid it. But because to put your in a place where you, your heart posture can have be exposed to other people that you are more compassionate, Mm -hmm. that you have perspective beyond what you see and not building walls around you to be as comfortable as possible. I think that is so beautiful. And I think what I love about that too, is when I first asked you the question of how do you integrate it? I think what I expected an answer to be more like, here are four steps or maybe something that feels more like, I don't know, this like regimented thing, but it's not, mm-hmm. but it actually is just these like heart shifts in the way that we just live our day to day. Yeah. It's yeah. so beautiful. So thank you. Uh, well, it's one of those things I am, I am so want to not just do the right thing. I mean, I want to do the right thing, um, but I am learning especially with the kids that, that they're reflecting back things that I'm teaching them that, um, if I want sustained change, if I want sustained things in my life, then it has to be a heart change. If your heart is not changed, and even to someone who is like, I don't even believe in God, your heart can still shift and change based on your encounters with other people. And so if we don't bring it back to people, then it's just, I'm just checking off a box. It's not going to become an integrated part of my life. It's going to be, this is what I do on this particular day. Now, If you have a set day where you're serving in your local community, for example, I would bet all the money in the world that as you continue to do that with regularity, your heart is going to change. It may not be a massive shift, but you cannot continue to put yourself in that position and not have a perspective shift. It can. It can happen. But for most of us, I think that we begin to shift and see things differently um, just as we are putting ourselves in that position. So if anybody wants a step, I would say have some sort of serving others that is a regular routine in your life, whether that's some people are like, I'll do that once a week. 
is that really feasible for your life? I don't know. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a quarter. Maybe it's something extended and it's once a year. I don't know what works for everyone, but it, regular service to someone other than yourself will change you. Mm, that's so good. I think it also, it's a stickier thing because you have to do the work to kind of like reflect and whatnot, but it also feels freeing that it doesn't have to look the same for everyone. Yeah. We're not all the same. Why, why would we think how our hearts are being adjusted and changed would be the same? Wow. This is really good. Okay. My last question. And then, and then, um, I think I could keep talking to you, but, um, my last question is about honeycomb. And this is the last question that I used to ask everyone. And it came from the verse in Proverbs, I believe, which is gracious words are honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Um, I love words. I love truth. And I love reading the word and having that be something that is over us. And so I would love mm. to know for you, like what is honeycomb in this season of your life, whether it's yeah. a Bible verse or a phrase that yeah. you're kind of holding on to. Sure. Um, this is something that actually I prayed it when we prayed before we came on the show is Lord, help me be aware of your presence. I know that you're here, but increase my awareness that you are here because I think I found myself in a space where um I didn't, I was like, I don't know if God is here. And so A, he is always, whether I feel him or not, he's here. But just to remember God's presence is always here. And he tells us that it's, it's repeated several times in the Bible, but the one I'm thinking specifically right now is in Joshua. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Mm. He said never, and you know, we're supposed to not use nevers. He <laughs> said Never. He said never, it. He never. Said, well, Portia, I don't know if you've heard, but there's this song by River Valley called Your Presence. That, <laughs> that used to be like our favorite song. Um, I love that one. Well, thank you so much, Portia, for sharing your life, your wisdom, your truth. And um, yeah, this was really blessing to me. And I hope it also speaks to other people. Thank you so much for having me, Jenny. I love talking to you. So this was an honor. <laughs>